This is episode 10 with Lisa Calhoun, founder and general partner at Valor Ventures. Welcome everyone to The Multiplier Effect, an Endeavor NWA podcast. All industries are impacted. Some industries have real opportunity because suddenly all of our habits have changed. And we've got organizations like Endeavor, which supports entrepreneurs starting a $100 million fund to invest in companies. Regionally, all of us, I really have to work together to highlight the heartland. Welcome back to another episode of The Multiplier Effect. My name is Jessica Head, and I am the marketing manager of Endeavor NWA. As Jeanette mentioned last week, for upcoming episodes as part of our investor series, we're handing the mic over to U.S. regional offices. You'll be hearing from investors spanning seven regional offices throughout the U.S. and leaders among our global headquarters in New York, much like episode eight, where we shared with you Linda Rotenberg's strategy session with Marcelo Clare. We believe introducing our global network with our community is of great importance to entrepreneurs in Northwest Arkansas and know that our Endeavor Network has been keeping the pulse on the latest trends and updates in raising capital during the crisis. Although Endeavor entrepreneurs have access to exclusive content speaking with these investors, we want to make resources accessible to all entrepreneurs in our growing ecosystem. So for our second co-hosted episode in this series, we are joined by the Endeavor Atlanta team. We love the team in Atlanta and had the privilege of recently hosting our first U.S. regional local selection panel, where panelists from Atlanta and Northwest Arkansas evaluated entrepreneurs on their potential for high-impact growth. Janem and I were privileged to attend the Atlanta International Selection Panel last fall with the field agent team as they participated in the final stage of the selection process. It was an exciting time had by all because they passed and became our first official Endeavor Entrepreneur of Northwest Arkansas. During our time at the event in Atlanta, we had the opportunity to meet a local investor, Lisa Calhoun, and had to invite her to join our investor series. Lisa is the founder and CEO of Valor Ventures, which is based in Atlanta. Her experience in early scale dynamics contributes to over a billion dollars in counting and exit values from startups. Lisa is known for pioneering platforms that fuel early stage companies with capital, connections, and critical insights, including the Valor Innovation Council that connects emerging startups to potential enterprise customers. The Startup Runway Foundation, the largest pitch event connecting underrepresented founders to First Capital and the Atlanta Startup Podcast, the voice of the region with 40% of the U.S. population. She is a Kauffman Fellow, a member of the global network of top venture capital investors. Lisa is interviewed by the managing director of Endeavor Atlanta, Aaron Hurst. Aaron is a seasoned executive that brings over 16 years of strategy, innovation, M&A, and the product development experience to Endeavor. Prior to launching and leading Endeavor Atlanta, Aaron was GM Vice President of Global Solutions at Ceridian HCM, a leading HR payroll and talent management software company. Aaron led Ceridian's global partnerships and software expansion outside of North America, including partnerships with Microsoft, NetSuite, and SD Works. He also ran Ceridian's international payroll division and launched the award-winning product Dayforce Connected Pay. We are thrilled to be sharing this interview with our listeners as Lisa discusses the power of habits being broken and how that creates more opportunity for entrepreneurs than ever before. Aaron, take it away. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. We're excited to talk to you and appreciate your time. Aaron, I always love talking with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I always find fun about interviewing people, especially people you know well, and you and I know each other pretty well, and we've been lucky enough to have you as an Endeavor mentor the last 
last couple of years at Endeavor Atlanta. But I find it fun that you always find something you didn't know about somebody when you're getting ready for a podcast or an interview. So, and I'm embarrassed to admit, one of the things I found out about you is that you're a Baylor Bear. I knew you went to UT for grad school, but I did not realize you spent all of your classroom time post high school in Texas. Yes, I lived in Texas for 14 years. I got my first house there. I had my first marriage there. I've got a real big part of Texas in my heart. It also explains the love of tacos, which I'm also a huge fan of too. So uh, I consider myself a, a taco expert. It's true. I've had so many tacos in so many Southwest towns. I love them. What's not to love? I agree. That may be a, a whole nother podcast in itself. And I was going to say the other thing, and I, I know we talked about it, I think maybe when we first met, I love that I think your first experience or one of your first experiences in your career was working at the American Payroll Association, the APA. And in San think, Antonio, Texas. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And well, you know, I think, as you know, my last experience before launching Endeavor Atlanta was at Ceridian. So I was living and breathing payroll. And I think I still have an APA World Congress tote bag floating around somewhere in my house. So yeah, yeah it was good, good stuff. It was a fun eight years. I really enjoyed my time at APA. They really helped me see the world through the lens of software and what it could do for companies. Yeah. And a great way to just see so many different companies too, I'm sure, because everyone needs payroll. Well, so I think for, for our discussion, Lisa, I'd love to start with a little bit about your background. I know you grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. So I, I think as much as you're willing to share, I'd love to hear a bit about that and how you eventually became an entrepreneur yourself. And yeah, I would love to hear that story. Well, my family is unusual in that there are generations of entrepreneurs and I don't know any generation in my family that didn't have entrepreneurs. And so I was raised in my parents' print shop in Roberta, Georgia. So this is a rural environment. And I was very lucky that I was put on a computer when I was 10 years old. And it was a particular type of computer. And we're talking about the early 80s. So, you know, dial back your expectations, but they sat me down at a huge Veritiper, which is about the size of a dining room table that'll seat six. And I started learning to typeset by basically coding from the workbook that was right next to the computer. So I got a chance to really get into technology from a very low and easy bar. It was a chore, just like sweeping the floor in the print shop. And going back several generations, my family's always been involved in killing what you eat. And it's it's a great way to grow up. It taught me a lot about business that you get by absorption at the dining room table when what you talk about is your customers, the, the new ones, the ones you want and the ones you lost and why. Yeah, that's amazing. So I love asking this question, interviewing entrepreneurs and investors. Do you believe entrepreneurship is more nature or, or you know, you're born with it or more nurture that you learn it as you go? I know that it's not a satisfying answer, but I think it's a little bit of both. I think most entrepreneurs are a part of society that is literally a little bit odd. Like they're outsiders, they're the natural outsiders among us. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that the human civilization has evolved the entrepreneur type to solve problems. I think we are kind of humanity's natural problem solvers. But while that might be a significant part of the population, and I, I wouldn't hazard a guess as to what percentage of us have that basic gift of entrepreneurship, I think a lot of people don't know that they can actualize it. Just like there are great athletes that never got into a great gym or got a great coach. So I do think being raised 
in an entrepreneurial family has been a tremendous advantage for me and is generally a tremendous advantage. There are a lot of multi-generational entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's great. I really like that description of the world's problem solvers. I think that's perfect. So speaking of entrepreneurship, before we get into your current life at Valor and also Startup Runway, would really like to hear about first company you founded, Right to Market, and you know, tell us about that experience. What caused you to take the leap to start your own business? And, and what did you see in the market that wasn't there that you thought you could deliver? Absolutely. And my first business was actually a gift from my mom gave me a fax machine for my birthday, my freshman year <laughs> of college. <laughs> so, Good old fax machine. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It was a huge gift. It was like $300. And <laughs> what I wanted. And it was the latest technology. It was 1990. I was very excited. And I used that fax machine to build a small uh, advertising agency hmm. in my dorm. And so that was, that was in a way my first business. It didn't scale very much, but it sure did, it sure did beat a living I could make elsewhere. Yeah. But when it came to right to market, I'd been working, you know, with the American Payroll Association, also in tech consulting, I'd been working in technology for about 10 years. And we were just at that point point where integrated development environments were coming along, it was becoming cheaper and easier to build software. And so as that happened, there was a lot more software being built and a huge fan. I was, it was so exciting. But then also what was happening was that a lot of developers or technically led companies did not have the skill to market the amazing innovation that they were delivering. And so I left what I was doing in enterprise tech consulting and software development to launch right to market. And literally I was working um, a tech consulting contract during the day and using that money to pay three people <laughs> to build right to market as an agency that focused on creating revenue and go-to-market plans for software businesses. And so I was at right to market as founder and CEO for about 10 years until I had the next, you know, hit me right between the eyes. I can't not do this inspiration, which was that tech entrepreneurs in the Southeast don't have sufficient access to quality professional seed capital hmm. and that that was holding them back. And so very much like what inspired me to start Right to Market, in 2015, I decided to start a venture capital firm that in my mind at the time, I would say to myself, we need a Sequoia of the South. We need an Andreessen Horowitz of Atlanta and a big, strong, lighthouse venture capital firm at the seed stage. And so I stopped working at Right to Market and started Valor. Yeah. Tell, tell us about, you know, the so the initial thesis, it sounds like for Valor was really focused on providing tier, what are what we, I guess, like to call it Endeavor tier one, very professional venture capital to founders in a region that didn't really have access access to it. So how has your thesis or that thesis changed over the last five years, if at all? And you know, what have you learned in the process of getting Valor you know, scaled up? Well, it'd be wonderful if you could build something like a Sequoia in just a few years. But <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. But no, our thesis hasn't changed at all. We're just really growing into it five years later, you know, on fund too. So when you look at the Southeast, we have the greatest density of the population, 125 million people. We we have 28% of the Fortune 500 headquarters. That's more than New York and California combined. We're the only region in the country growing double digits. And now with the pandemic and the new work from anywhere reality, those double digits are getting bigger. Yep. So 
The Southeast has so much power. There are so many acquirers who are actually headquartered here and so much talent that's actually just born here that having access to capital at the seed stage is a no-brainer. But by no means is that a a quick and easy mission that I'm on. I was speaking with one of our mutual friends, David Cummings, as I was launching the firm. He became our first investor and he was like, this is going to, you know, you know, this is going to take a while. And I'm like, I do. When I I decided to launch Valor, I promised myself that I would at least be involved for 20 years, that I really wanted to see this true this true journey. Sure. Yeah. I don't know if you're reading of all Ravikant's stuff at all, but I love the, you know, long-term games with long-term people, which is, that's the game you're in with venture capital. So that's great. So we actually kind of skipped over what Valor is, but can you maybe for those, especially founders out there who might be interested in connecting with you, tell us more about the fund, what you're looking for and how can founders reach you? So Valor Ventures is a seed stage lead. We focus on experienced founders. And when I say experienced founders, I I don't mean they're on company two or three, although that's great. I mean, they're really experienced in a business problem. They have deep expertise. They're solving a problem that has a large market and they are being rewarded with actual customer revenue right now. And as we start to see that customer revenue scale and they're looking for their first professional round, then Valor wants to be your first call. And if that's what your company's doing and you're headquartered in the Southeast, the best thing to do is simply shoot me an email, lisa at valor.vc. So we write checks right now of around a million dollars We can do a little bit more. We can put together a much larger round with co-investors to really help that company get off the ground of early success and scale much faster. That's great. Hopefully we'll help fill your inbox after this podcast gets released. So of course we would have to talk about the crazy time we're in in our world and in our country right now. And I know a lot of people listening to this, uh, especially founders, would love to hear your insights on what you're seeing, both from your portfolio companies, but also maybe some of the companies that you're talking to in terms of handling the pandemic, you know, the economic reality of COVID. When you're having those conversations, what are you seeing are the most essential things for companies to focus on? And maybe even if you have, you know, some examples of inspiring ways that companies are adapting and showing agility in the midst of the pandemic. I think the real winners, and as I'm looking at, you know, our CEO reactions, They've been fantastic across the portfolio. So all of our entrepreneurs being the agile problem solvers that they are, we're learning a lot from them and how they're managing through. The first thing, of course, was getting their hands on where's the customer base and what is going to happen in this new reality. But after that, our CEOs really focused on team and how to create a culture of trust, safety, and growing career within a remote or work from anywhere environment. So I think that a lot of the the learnings that are sustaining companies in their growth have to do with those who are successful in creating a culture that can reach you anywhere. And it's really playing to creative leadership teams. And I think there's a lot of ways to do it. And I've seen a lot of really interesting ways to do it. But one of our companies has a weekly happy hour on Wednesdays and a morning walk when everyone gets on the phone and walks together on Mondays. Mm. It's culture, but culture at a distance. And that's just what's required right now. But I tell you what, most of our portfolio after the initial 
shock of a pandemic, and you know, we've all the world has been shocked by that, really leaned into the upside and the opportunity. And so we're, we read, led the seed round, for example, in Physician 360, which is Dr. Angela Fusaro and Dr. Rob Laporte, and their company is a diagnostic telemedicine. Mm. And for the longest time, telemedicine has been held back because of compliance and regulation. Now everyone realizes that we really need stronger telemedicine resources, especially for everyday conditions your family might face, like cold, strep, through flu, earache, UTI, and that's what they do. So there are a lot of companies in our portfolio because it was a founder who was solving a real problem that they had deep experience in. The pivots are real, but they have been very successful in the new reality. Yeah, that's great to hear. So, so tying into that, and I think healthcare is a great example. Um, what other industries do you think are really just going to be changed forever because of the pandemic and everything that it's caused and maybe some that may may change for a time but you know may go back to normal well i think that the world is going through a unifying experience right now that in the past the only unifying experiences the world could recall and they weren't really worldwide necessarily but were world wars if you think about the kind of mental model and mapping the thought of a world war a generation ago left on even people today that didn't experience it, I think the pandemic, while in many ways not as severe, is leaving very much a mind trace or a mind scar that people are avoiding, reacting to, reacting to. And so I think all industries are impacted. Some industries have real opportunity because suddenly all of our habits have changed. Breaking habit is the hardest thing to do. So here we have a population of billions of people changing their daily habits. Ooh, if you want to talk about a time to get involved in software. Yeah. <laughs> Time because all customers are now digital customers and all customers are having an experience through digital. And so that really plays to the strength of software. So when I think about it, I think all industries are touched. The ones that think they aren't are probably the ones that will be the, the last to realize that they were actually made irrelevant by the pandemic. And when it comes to places where we're looking to see new innovation and really excited about it, of course, future of work. There's a lot of platforming that needs to happen. Future of education, while Valor itself is not likely to invest in education, it's not our core. I know a lot of education investors are really excited about the opportunities now. Future of business travel. There will be innovators that will come up with something that's not quite a conference, but is something else better. What's the platform that does that. Entertainment is being changed quite a bit. How are we going to move forward with that? So I think there are enormous opportunities. For example, one of our investments that's closing very soon is a continuous employee background monitoring company using a lot of AI to keep tabs on a work from anywhere workforce. Mm. There are a lot of things like that around healthcare access to service, employee background screening, career adjustments. 
that are now going to be uh, pressurized in how quickly they go digital. I think one habit that won't break is eating tacos, though, for sure, for me. So fortunately, fortunately not. Yes, I think I, I think I'll probably go get some tonight. But yeah, I completely agree. And it's I think I saw somebody write that there's been jokes about how much money companies have been spending on digital transformations, and and the best you know digital transformation consulting firm is COVID nineteen, right? It's, it's essentially forcing every company to figure out how to become digital very, very quickly, which just opens up so many opportunities in pretty much every industry. It's exciting from that perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shifting gears a bit, you, like many entrepreneurs, wear many hats at one time. So would love for you to talk a little bit about Startup Runway and you launched that after you, you launched Valor. Tell us a little bit about it and, and, and what's happening within Startup Runway. So Valor has a number of programs to help us be a best-in-class sourcer at the seed stage in the Southeast. It's really important to us to see all of the deals that are high potential, especially around technology being built by experienced founders right here. And so one of the things I noticed when we launched Fund One, first closed in 2016 in the fall, was that our pipeline was overwhelmingly white male. And that is not what the population in the Southeast looks like. And so with our goal of being an investor of choice, and also a high performing investor. We knew that we needed to create a more inclusive pipeline. So my co-founders and I, we ran a bunch of tests. I mean, we did founder camp in the hell country in Texas. We went so far as to taking, taking out a cruise ship deck for women to see if a female founder camp would make some kind of a difference. And so one of the tests we ran was Startup Runway, and we thought, this one for sure won't work because it's just a pitch competition. The mm. only special thing about the pitch competition, of which we all know there are hundreds, was that it was only for founders from underrepresented groups. So you had to be a woman-led or a founder of color-led firm to pitch Startup Runway. Well, that sucker took off. Wow. And- then it's become the largest pitch event for founders from underrepresented groups. And it's a significant part of Valor's investment pipeline and a way that we can, you know, we've cast it now as a foundation as it's scaled and grown. It's a 501c3. We now run it four times a year and tremendous grassroots supporters, very entrepreneurial ones like Cox Enterprises and American Family Insurance, Slalom, Right to Market, Goldman Sachs, Brian Cave, they donate capital to create grant checks for these founders. So it's a, it's an exciting platform. It's really scaled a lot. I think it's time had come in 2016 and it's only gaining steam. Yeah. And it's an amazing platform. I was, I've been lucky enough to participate in, in a few of them. And the one you just held virtually was fantastic. So I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how are you thinking of scaling Startup Runway now that you've had, I think, what, one test of the virtual post-COVID Startup Runway pitch? You know, I remember waking up that morning and thinking this is going to be horrible because it's such a wonderful face-to-face event. People tell us, you know, we made no new connections, we have new pipeline, we have new portfolio. And then I was amazed at how well it translated online. And that's not just a feeling I don't necessarily... I like to know what I'm feeling, but I also like to look at the numbers. So as you know, Aaron, we do a lot of surveying. We actually got better attendee marks on Startup Runway virtually than we even do physically. And so what we learned was if we could focus that content, but also build 
places where people could network with each other, we would have a success. So Startup Runway, we immediately you know, talked to our stakeholders and we've moved it into a quarterly event. So the next one is September 9th, which is two months ahead of when we had anticipated holding it. And we have some tremendous keynote speakers and breakout speakers that we haven't announced yet. We'll announce after Independence Day, but it's really gaining a lot of momentum. That's awesome. Yeah, it's very, we've had a similar experience in Endeavor. Our international selection panels have now moved virtual and similarly, the feedback NPS scores are higher than the in-person ones, which is crazy because you've been to, you know, to an ISP before. They're amazing events, but we've actually heard feedback specifically from the founders that interview that the environment over a Zoom call is actually more intimate, right? Because all the background noise, you know, you might have in a room is gone. The observers in the interviews are gone. It's just you and the panelists that are sitting having a conversation, which we were super scared of launching it a few months ago. But similarly, it's it's actually been kind of a silver lining. There are a lot of learnings from this new working reality. I agree. It's been a big one for us too. And frankly, making investments, doing a lot of digital diligence. I've been amazed at how much comfort I can gain speaking to founders in their homes, in their cars. <laughs> I feel like I'm such a part of their life now because we're doing diligence, not just looking at what they want us to see when we visit their office, but actually connecting with them in their in their real world where their four-year-old might come up behind mama and say, hey, you know, look at my new drawing. It's that's just it's all about building trust. And I do feel like there are some significantly strong ways to build trust that are open to us now that we're really non-starters before. Yeah. And if you think of work, right, it has progressed. Well, I guess it's gone both ways. We went from sort of agrarian where work and family and life were all merged together to work is separate. I go to work and and then I come home and they're two separate things. And now we're kind of merging the two back together, which is really interesting. Awesome. So as part of the podcast, we have a couple of questions we'd love to ask all of our guests. So I'm going to jump into the Endeavor question segment here real quick. The first question is, as you know, in Endeavor, we envision a world where people can accomplish anything when they have access to opportunity and encouragement. So given your success, what would you consider one of your give back goals? I would say it's definitely inclusion. So Valor has, of course, a purpose, which is creating top venture capital returns for its stakeholders, our investors. We also have a mission, and our mission is making inclusion the new normal in venture capital. And there's a lot of work to be done, but that is our give back. And whether we do things like uh, we created the inclusion premium investing philosophy, we have a handbook of data and research on how inclusion powers 15 to 35% better financial returns. We have a database of board ready black women. If someone would like to create more financial returns and create a stronger board, we offer that for free. We have a database of fantastic female coders that we offer to all of our portfolio and women who code allows us to recruit within their network at no charge. So thing after thing, I could go on forever, but making inclusion, the new normal in venture capital is a strong mission in our work. And 
very much aligned with creating top returns and a culture of innovation. Yeah, that's amazing. And look, I'd be remiss if, if I didn't bring this up. We're not only in the middle of a pandemic, but we're in the midst of one of the largest social movements, certainly of my lifetime in the United States right now. So given what you all focus on and really focusing on inclusion and supporting amazing people that haven't really ever had access to venture capital before or the type of support to scale a business, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what is going on in the U.S. and what impact will be for founders over the next, you know, two to three years and beyond. So I think you're referring to Black Lives Matter, the movement started by three women after the death of Mayvon Martin. I think it's fantastic that at this time that we've been able to pause a little bit more, not travel to work, not have to travel. People have been rethinking their lives. Their habits are broken and those broken habits have allowed the door to open for things like what would inclusion do in our society? Hmm. So I... I am really glad, especially to see white America, of which I am a member, embracing the fact that all lives don't matter until black lives matter. And how is that going to affect us at a policy level, at a governmental level, and an investment level, and in every day walking around how you live your life level? It's critical. I think it's a huge opportunity for the United States to take the next leap in its culture. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, my my hope is we take advantage of the moment that we're in right now. And I'm hopeful we will. So the second question in our Endeavor segment, co-founder and CEO of Endeavor, Linda Rotenberg, who I know you know, has always said that, you know, crazy is a compliment. So call me crazy all you want. So we always like to ask each guest on the show, what has been your call me crazy moment, if you could pick one? Well, I will say that when I told everyone that I was going to start a venture capital firm, I, you know, I don't have, I've never worked in a venture capital firm. <laughs> so let's start there. And I had this multi-million dollar, highly successful tech marketing agency right to market. And a lot of people gave me a lot of kudos and appreciation for being a fantastic growing business. And I, that was, it was wonderful. I loved right to market until I fell in love with my next business as a lot of entrepreneurs out there can relate. And so I've been called crazy quite a bit, especially in the first couple of years in, in building Valor Ventures and occasionally still by much larger venture capital firms. And I, I take it as a wonderful compliment. Yeah, as you should. Awesome. All right, we're into our rapid fire segment. So we've got a set of questions we ask each guest. So I'm just going to go through them fairly quickly. Are you ready, Lisa? I'm always ready, Aaron. I know you are. All right, here we go. So what time, and then this is in the current state, maybe not pre-COVID, but what time do you wake up and what time is bedtime? So I wake up 6.30. I can't seem to help myself. If I want to get up earlier, I'm too sleepy. If I want to get up later, it doesn't really work out. I get up at 6.30. I go to bed around 9.30. I'm asleep by 10.30. Nice. I love that. What are you reading right now? At the moment, I am not reading anything because we just took a, a road trip to bring my son to Texas and I read three books in three days. <laughs> so at the moment, I'm not reading anything and I'm looking for my next book. What was your favorite book of the three that you read on your road trip? I didn't have a favorite book of those three. I wanted to get through them, but <laughs> okay. I can't say that I would recommend any of them. All right. Fair enough. If, if anyone has suggestions for Elisa's next book, um, 
you can rewind to our email earlier in the podcast. What has been a silver lining for you during the crisis and the quarantine? Not traveling. Yeah, agree with that. Uh, is there anything I should have asked, but I didn't? No, I think this was a great interview. I think one thing that I would love to share is that I really appreciate the work Endeavor is doing. And I think, for example, with your new scale-up program, which is you just launched your first cohort, some really, really impressive founders in it. Uh, Endeavor continues to reinvent itself around how to help the entrepreneurial spirit. And it's really a pleasure being active with your network. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, Lisa, we're so privileged and thankful to have your time today. Thank you for speaking with us and sharing your insights and always excited to partner with you and excited for the future of entrepreneurship and venture capital in the Southeast and to continue to partner with you. So are we. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We have an exciting few weeks lined up through the rest of our investor series with guest hosts from many of our other U.S. Endeavor offices. Find out more about details on this episode and upcoming virtual events hosted by our team at EndeavorNWA.org. See you next week.